Luke 7, 36 through 50. Uh, Pastor Jason, he is on vacation. Many of you know that, which uh, we always get excited, excited when he goes on vacation. He gets excited because he gets to go spend time with his family. And I get excited because I get to come spend time with you guys from the pulpit. And I'm thankful to be here today. So chapter 7, the book of Luke, starting off in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she had learned that he, that's Jesus, was reclining at table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other who owed 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I have entered your house, yet you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You have given me no kiss, but from the time that I came, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father God, uh, we love you. We thank you for your scripture. Um, It's a blessing to get to open it together and and to get to open it on our own and to um, encounter the, the words of God. Um, this is how you've cho- chosen to, to communicate with us, your people. So I, I pray that you would show up here, God, and, and just get, get our hearts ready to receive from you. Open our eyes and our ears so that we may see and hear and know who Christ is and what he's done. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so our passage today starts off with Jesus getting invited to a dinner. All right, so that, that may not seem too uh, out of the ordinary at first, but it becomes a little bit stranger when we see who's inviting him, right? It's a Pharisee, right? Now, when, when we read through the Gospels, we learn a lot about these, these Pharisee guys. And, and one of the things that we learn very quickly is they don't like Jesus. They, they don't have much to do with him. In fact, most every time you see a Pharisee talking to Jesus, okay, he's, he's condemning Jesus. He's nitpicking Jesus. He's um, saying terrible things about Jesus. And all throughout the Gospels, they get together and they plot to kill Jesus, right? Like, so that's who these guys are. And I don't know about you, but if there's someone who's always critiquing me and picking on me and they've like planned to murder me, like I'm probably not going over their house to eat, right? Like, I don't care what's on the menu or if they have really cool gift bags to like give as a a parting gift when I leave. Like, I'm not going over to that dude's house, but Jesus does. 
Jesus does go over to the Pharisee's house, and this doesn't just happen once in, in Scripture. It happens a lot, okay? So we see this here in chapter 7. Um, it's going to come up again in Luke chapter 11, and then again in Luke chapter 14. And so we see that Jesus, when these guys who, who really despise him, and a lot of times at their dinners, they're kind of like plotting and planning how to trap Jesus or, or catch him or find some offense with him. He goes to their dinner parties. He says yes again and again and again. And here's the reason why I think he does that. Okay, this is what Luke 19.10 says. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, right? That's what he came to do, okay? Now, if that's the, uh, the prostitute or the leper or the tax collector, he came to seek and save the lost. Or if that's the self-righteous Pharisee who doesn't see his need for Christ, he came to, to seek and save broken people. And so Jesus is going to Simon's house with the intent Hey, I'm, I'm going to show Simon who I am. More specifically, Jesus is going to show Simon what real and true forgiveness looks like. Um, he, he's not only going to tell him with his words, he's actually going to make a visible display with this, um, with this uninvited guest who's going to crash Simon's party. So that's what's going on here in this passage is uh, Jesus shows up to this dinner. And at first, uh, things get li- or going pretty normal, but um, the... the party gets really awkward pretty quick okay have you guys ever been to an awkward party okay like one where you're just like i should not have come here this is weird these people don't really want me here okay well jesus party gets real awkward i i was trying to think of a time where i've been to an awkward party and surprisingly enough like if you knew me you'd be like he's probably been to awkward parties or at least been the cause of an awkward party <laughs> but like i couldn't think of a lot of good illustrations so i had to steal one from my brother so Chris, I asked him, I said, well, have you been to any awkward parties? And he said, yes, here's, here's the most awkward party I've been to. He said, my, my girlfriend at the time, so this is pre-Cali days, invited me to go watch Lord of the Rings with her parents. And I was like, okay, I, I like the Lord of the Rings. Sure, I'll go watch it. So he gets to her house, and sure enough, everything starts out normal. They're all just kind of sitting in the living room talking. But then one by one, he said her family has like disappears. And it's just he and his girlfriend sitting there. And about 20, 30 minutes later, they all come back out. And they are dressed like from head to toe in the authentic Lord of the Rings costumes, all right? So they've got like on the elvish ears. And, and so he's like, okay, this is kind of weird, like dressing up just to watch a movie, but okay. Well, he, he's kind of walking around and he looks out their front window. They've got a really long driveway. And down the driveway, March, carrying big flags, a bunch of other weird families who are dressed up as dwarves and elves. And so they march down and they come in the house and they lay out this big feast, all right? And they're talking to each other in elfish and dwarfish language. Chris doesn't know what's going on, all right? And so he, he's just, this is an awkward party for him. And they end the evening by dancing around a fire and, and listening to elvish music, all right? So awkward party, yes? Yes, okay. I, you, maybe some of you would feel right at home there, but my brother Chris did not, okay? So it was really awkward for him. And that, that's kind of the scenario and setting we see ourselves in today. Now, there aren't, there aren't dwarves and elves in the passage, um, but it was a normal party that instantly became weird because an uninvited guest showed up. So um, let's, let's look at what happened and caused this party to be a little bit strange. Uh, starting in verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kiss his feet and anoint them with the ointment. Okay, so 
everything's going normal. Maybe, maybe they're having just a, a religious discussion. You know, the, this Pharisee's asking Jesus questions about, um, you know, no scripture and the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden, this, this seemingly crazy lady burst in, right? And she is just sobbing uncontrollably. Okay, you got to think the guy who's throwing this party, Simon, I mean, like he's in charge of how things are going. You got to think he's like, what is going on? She, she falls at Jesus's feet. She's crying. She's like smearing her hair on his feet to wipe him clean. And then she's rubbing ointment on him and she starts kissing him. Like that's a weird dinner, right? Like if you guys are eating with your family tonight, or let's say you go and you're eating up at KFC and this woman burst in, she's crying. Like that would be really strange to us. And it's really strange in this passage. But, but as I read this story again and again, I realized, like, this woman's not crazy. You know, she, she's, not, she's not confused. She's not delusional. In fact, as I read over the story, I started to realize she's the most clear-thinking person in the passage. She's the only one who's got things figured out. And, and I say that for two reasons. Number one, she's the only one standing there who really knows who Jesus is. She's the only one who's like really come to grips with like, hey, do you guys get who's at your dinner party? Like this is the son of God. All right, this is, this is righteous, perfect Christ. So she gets that, whereas nobody else does. And then she also gets the depravity of her sin. She realizes, okay, I am not like Jesus. I'm broken. Man, I've got a bunch of sin in my life. So she, she comes in and i really love her heart she just she falls down at jesus feet she's weeping she's crying she's broken over her sin and um she all these all these actions the 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 tears the the perfume the wiping of the feet they're really all an overflow of this right heart that says i see who christ is and i see what my sin is so this lady is the i think is the most clear thinking person there because she realizes her great sin and her desperate need for Christ. Um, I love that she's there to see Jesus. Like nothing else matters to her. She, she hears he's at the party. She's like, I'm going to Jesus. She doesn't care that she doesn't have an invitation. She doesn't care that it's at these religious leaders' house who would want nothing to do with her. She doesn't care what she looks like, if she looks like a fool or, um, man, what anybody thinks of her. There's no saving face. There's no pride. It's I'm going to go get at the feet of Christ. And she busts into the room. All that matters to her is that she be made right with God. And I love that heart in her because that is not our usual heart. And so she breaks into the room, seeing more clearly than ever before that she needs Jesus. And so when we see that, we shouldn't look at this passage and say, what's wrong with her? You know, we should look at this passage and say, how can I be more like her? How, how can I have this heart that sees my, my tremendous problem of sin and my desperate need for Christ? And we would come to, to Jesus um, and, and embrace him as our only hope like she does. So as I, I read through this passage, I, I started to ask myself some hard questions um, like, like this. When, when's the last time that you ever wept over your sin? Like for real, and, and, and I was trying to answer that. And Hey, Daniel, when's the last time that you were so broken over, over your sin against God that you fell down on your knees before him? When, when's the last time that you were, you were so torn up about your sin that you could care less what anyone else thought? Anyone in your family, anyone in your congregation, but all, all that mattered to you, Daniel, was getting right with God. You didn't care about what others thought. And so as I, as I answer those questions, I'm sure if you, as you guys answer them, we'll all say it's not near enough. It's not near often enough that we're this broken over our sin 
and, and we come uh, crying to Christ in repentance. Um, but we ought to. And, and I've been praying this week for, for our church and for me that we'd be the kind of people who would have hearts like this woman um, to clearly see our sin and turn from it and to clearly see Christ for who he is. So that, that's, uh, that's where the story begins because again, Jesus is trying to show Simon, the self-righteous man, what forgiveness looks like taking place. And forgiveness always begins with first being broken over our sin and seeing our need for it and then coming to Christ. So that's where our passage starts off. Um, is Simon paying attention? So what, what does he think so far about what's going on? Let's look at verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, so he's talking about Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. All right? So Simon's sitting here, and this woman apparently is well known in the town. All right? Simon knows who she is, and he knows she's a sinner. Probably all the other guests there know who she is and know she's a sinner. And that's all that's stuck on his mind is, why would Jesus have anything to do with this broken woman? Like he says he's God's son. He says he's righteous and holy. Does he not, can he not spot a big sinner? Like is that Jesus' problem? He can't tell who this woman is or what she has done? Now, um, the, the passage doesn't make clear to us what the woman's sin is. Uh, most, most commentary, I think actually every commentary and sermon I read um, labeled the woman as a prostitute just because she's from the city and her sin is publicly known by so many people and it's really looked down upon. Um, and so that's, that's what Piper and MacArthur say. And if those guys who are way smarter than me say that, that's what I usually go with. Um, but anyways, the point here is this lady is super broken and she's got this detestable sin that everybody knows about. And that's all that this, this, um, that this Pharisee, Simon, is seeing. And he's trying to figure it out. He can't, can't wrap his ma- mind around, why would God be, or why would Jesus be okay with this woman being in his presence? And what Simon does here is something that, that we all do at times. He, he really makes two categories in his head, right? He says, all right, we, you know, we have sinful people and lost people, right? We do this all the time. You know, we, we have, you know, dog people and cat people and Democrats and Republicans. And like, usually those people don't like each other, right? So we have these two different groups. Well, Simon says, okay, we have holy people and unholy people. We have bad people and, and, you know, good people. And so he, he instantly sees this woman. He knows of her sin and he puts her in the unrighteous category. And then where does he position, position himself? He's righteous, right? Okay, see, it makes sense to him that Jesus is at his house. Like, I don't know why he would have anything to do with that lady, but of course, he, you know, of course he'd accept my invitation. Of course he'd come be my friend. And, you know, of course he'd come talk out and talk with me and hang out and we'd have a good time. But what would he want to do with that woman? And so what we see here really in, in the heart of, of Simon is self-righteousness. That's what's going on here. Um, and really, it's, it's a greater sin than anything the woman's done. He's got, this, he's got this heart that says, I'm okay on my own, right? That's what self-righteousness is. I, I'm self-sufficient. Apart from God and his grace and anything, anything anyone else has done, I have figured out a way to be good with God on my own. That's what self-righteousness is. And that's Simon's claim. He's saying, I've got it figured out. I've got it put together. I'm a friend of God, and it's because of my works. It's because of something that I've done within myself. But that's a terrible lie. 
When, when I read this, I kept thinking of the parable in Luke 18.10. So this is the parable of the, uh, the tax collector and the Pharisee. And, and as I read it, you can see that Simon has the same type of heart. Two men were up at a temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men who are extortioners and unjust and adulterous or even like this tax collector. He's putting them into categories. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector who was standing far off wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. So what, what Jesus, trying to, to show Simon what forgiveness looks like, he's trying to show him right now that, hey, your self-righteousness can stand in the way. Like it's a dangerous thing, Simon, to, to assume that you're right with God on your own. In fact, there, there's nothing more dangerous, right? Because when we're assuming that God, I'm, I'm fine by myself apart from Christ, like that's to reject the gospel. That's, that's to reject God's plan for salvation, okay? You, you reject forgiveness if you don't believe you need it. And that's where Simon is. He's, I've got it all together. Okay, this, one, this woman is the person with the problem. She's the one who needs forgiveness. And I am fine. That's, that's, a, that's a deadly way of thinking. Um, and man, it, it, empties, man, it empties God of, of his grace. And, it, and it, like, it says, I don't need Christ and I don't need the cross. It makes light of all those things when we act like we can be righteous on our own. So that's where we see that Simon's heart is. He's got this self-righteousness where he thinks he's okay on his own. And, um, and, and I believe that that's where all of our hearts tend to, right? I, I don't think we're all naturally like the woman who just like clearly perfectly see Jesus and we're torn up over our sin all the time. I think we're more all prone to be like the Pharisee who think that we're pretty good people, right? That's, that's what usually happens. So maybe you're sitting here and you're like, not me, man. Like, you know, maybe the rest of you sinful people are like that. But I've got it all together, right? You're laughing because that's self-righteousness right there, right? That's what it is. So um, here, let's, we'll, we'll take a, real, a little test real quick, okay? This is my self-righteousness test. Don't answer these out loud, all right? It might be embarrassing, right? So do you ever look down on others because you believe their sin is worse or different than yours? Do you ever get upset when people see a problem with you or point out sin in you? Do you compare your other, yourself to others saying things like, I'm glad I'm not like them. I would never do something like that. What is wrong with those people? Do you ever feel like uh, everyone around you is so messed up and that things would go a lot better if all the sinners were just pulled out of your life? All right. So if you answered yes to one or more of those, that means you struggle with self-righteousness. Okay. If you answered no to all those, it means that you struggle even more than the rest of us with self-righteousness. Because the truth is, we, we all have that heart that's prone to be that of the Pharisee. Um, we, we make light of our sins and we overlook them, but we're really good at spotting others, right? I, I see this a lot with, with, in my family with my kids. Like, I can spot my kids' sin from a mile away. You know, I got it. It's like, hey, there's anger in your heart. You know, you need to stop doing that. Repent and obey your dad, you know. But then, like, when I've got anger at my heart, like, you know, it takes me a while to figure out it's there, right? It's like way, way later when I realize it's there. And a lot of times, that, that's all of us with our sin. We spot other people's brokenness and we see it, but we're never looking in at our own brokenness to see how torn up we are apart from Christ. And so we, we don't want to have that heart that says, man, 
I'm glad I'm not like them. Because if you have that, that kind of heart, the truth is you're probably something far worse. So let's take a look at how Jesus responds to uh, Simon and his self-righteous heart. So he's, he's gonna answer him. I, and, I, and I like this. So Simon, he, he thinks this thought is in the privacy of his head. Okay, like if you're new to church and you haven't been through the Bible, like you can't, you can't just think whatever you want around Jesus, right? He can like see through your heart. He sees what's in your mind. He sees the brokenness there. So that's what he does here with Simon. Simon just thinks he's having this, possi- this passing thought in his mind. And he's being critical. Like Jesus knows it. And then he says, oh, here's what you're thinking. He brings it up for them to deal with. So that's what we see here. Um, He's going to show them even more about forgiveness by responding to him in a clever parable. So this is starting in verse 40. And Jesus answered him saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. Okay, when Jesus has something to say to you, you better listen up, right? And he answered him saying, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will he love more? Simon answered, Well, I suppose the one of whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said, You have judged rightly. So Jesus is going to, remember, he's he's teaching Simon about forgiveness. He's talking to him about his his self-righteousness, his pride being in the way. And he uses this real clever story to get at at what, what's wrong with Simon's thinking and where his heart is. And so he, he tells the story about these two debtors, all right? And the, the big thing that we need to make sure is clear is one's a way bigger debtor than the other, right? So we got 50 denarii and 500 denarii. So really small debt, really big debt. So like say $10,000 in debt and $100,000 in debt. A 10 times worse sinner is what he's, is Jesus is, is pointing out. So this one person is 10 times more in debt, but then Jesus basically says, It doesn't matter that they're more in debt because both cannot pay. They're positionally the same. You see that? So he's saying, okay, Simon, does it matter who's got more debt here? You're both bankrupt, right? You both have nothing to offer. Does it matter if one guy, you know, like, so does it matter if I've sinned, you know, two trillion times and Fred's sinned eight trillion times? No, we're positionally the same. We're both bankrupt and can do nothing. We have nothing to offer the one whom we're in debt to. And so that's the first point that Jesus is making to Simon. He's saying, hey, forgiveness is needed by all. That's the point he's making. So he's addressing his his self-righteousness, saying, "Why, why compare yourself to others? Why try to jockey for a position or stand over others when you guys are all in the same boat, in the same position? You're debtors who cannot pay who you owe. That's the first thing he's saying. Um, the Bible's really clear on this, by the way. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 likewise says that there's no one righteous, not even one. So it, it doesn't do any good to, to compare ourselves to others when we're all in the same position, uh, debtors who can't pay back our master. So, by, by the way, knowing, knowing that, knowing that all people outside of Christ, okay, um, are, are debtors, who are broken and and in need of God's forgiveness, knowing that ought to change the way that you um, relate to to sinful people and relate to your family and your kids and your neighbors. Like we as Christians, this is a big complaint, like from the world to Christians, and we should hear what they're saying. They, a lot of times they they call us hypocrites, okay? Or they say, well, Christians think they're better than me, right? Isn't that that kind of the world's complaint? You guys, you guys are so religious or self-righteous, okay? So that's their critique of us. And, and so we need to hear that. And when we talk to him, we shouldn't say, you're a wicked person. You're a broken. 
Like, cause that's not very helpful, right? Do you, do you want to listen to someone who's doing that to you? No. So the, be- the better thing to do is to stand beside them and say, hey, here's how it is. We're screwed up people, right? Like you and me, like me and Bonnie, we're both super screwed up. Like I shouldn't say, you're simple, you're broke. We're messed up together. And here's the truth. No matter whose sin's worse than they're all, we both need God's grace desperately, right? That is way more appealing, right? To say, hey, it's you and I, and, and I'm not against you, but we're against God and our sin. So let's run to him together. That's, that's a way more appealing way to talk to people about sin and brokenness. Um, and as a matter of fact, I think that's the, the whole point of the parable of the, the person who has a speck in the eye and the log in their own. Man, see your own brokenness first and then talk to people about your brokenness together and your desperate need for God. So that's the first and, and uh, most clear point of that. The second point of Jesus' clever story is this. Those who have been forgiven much love much. So he, he, Jesus is actually, what he's getting ready to do is he's going to make this dinner a lot more awkward. Because he just told a parable, a story. And if Simon didn't understand that it was about him already, Jesus is about to make it really clear because he's going to vocally say, hey, Simon, this is where you're messed up. So right here, he brings the parable to life and he's going he's gonna to illustrate that, uh, that point that those who've been forgiven much love much. And so he does that by uh, comparing Simon's heart to the heart of the woman that is there. So let's look at verses 44 through 47. And what Jesus is doing here, by the way, is he's, he's saying, hey, Simon, let's not look at past sins. That's what you're doing. You're pointing at these ladies' past sins. But let's look at current hearts. Like, let's lay your heart out beside her heart and let's see where you both really are. So then turning to the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. He said, Simon, I'm your guest. I came to your home to eat. Yet you gave me no water for my feet. But this woman, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, you gave me no kiss, all right? Not to us in America and our culture, that's kind of weird, right? Like if I come to your house and you're a man, do not kiss me to greet me, all right? But, but that's how they greeted each other back then. So he's saying, Simon, you didn't even properly greet me. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. Simon, you didn't even try to honor me as a guest. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, okay? Those things you're so worried about, Simon, those, those big, nasty, glaring problems of how she's separated from God, which are many, that's what Jesus says. Yes, they're big. Yes, they're a huge problem. I'm not making light of them, but they're forgiven. For she loved much, but the one who is forgiven little loves little. So here's how I would sum up what, sum up what Jesus is saying in, in those verses. He's saying, Simon, let's, let's look at both your hearts side by side, okay? Don't worry about her past. Right now in this room, let's look at both your hearts, okay, and how they are towards me. And he just starts laying out, this woman's done this and you haven't. And he's, he's pointing them out and basically he's saying, Simon, you have failed to treat me as even a common guest in your house. But this broken woman, she treats me as her Lord. Man, she, she, sees her, she sees who I am. She sees her desperate need for me and she is down at my feet, okay? She's worshiping. She's saying, all I have and all I, I need is you. And the reason she's doing this, Simon, is because she knows what forgiveness is. She has been forgiven. And Simon, you have no clue. That's what Jesus is saying. 
In verses 48 and 49, Jesus says three things to, to end the passage and, and, to, and to teach Simon. Remember, all this, even though he's shown grace and he's brought life to this woman, all of this is his mercy towards Simon. He's like, give him a real life display. Hey, this is what forgiveness looks like. They'll walk the same path this woman walks, Simon, if you want forgiveness. So he ends with this. And he said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So three things that Jesus ends with. Um, Number one, it says he dismisses her sins, right? Her many sins. He says, you are forgiven. Okay, now, now this is remarkable. Okay, we, we know we've been facing, or focusing a lot on Simon's sin, the self-righteousness, but this lady was desperately broken, right? Like that's the condition she came in. Like, I am separated from God. My sin is terrible. And she's like sobbing over it. She's down, bawling. She's a mess on the floor. And Jesus says, hey, all that burden you're carrying, okay, all, all that sin that you're worried about, forgiven like that's really cool that's what jesus does okay now i I ask myself how does he do that like so does he just like sweep it under the rug like okay this lady you know she's prostitute or she's messed up or whatever let's just ignore it okay we're not going to talk about it let's hide it over you like that's not how jesus deals with sins right like when he says you're forgiven your sins are gone like he really does something with them like we really have a debt and he really pays it So the reason Jesus is able to say your sins are forgiven is because here very shortly, he's going to carry a cross to Calvary. And he's going to pay for each wicked and wrong thing that woman's ever done or ever will do with his own blood. He's going to stand in her place and he's going to be treated as she deserved to be treated. He's going to take her position as broken, sinful person separated from God and he's really going to pay every ounce of debt that she owes. That's why he can say, hey, you're forgiven because I've got this taken care of on the cross. That's, that's the beauty of it. And so that, that's what he does. He says, your sins are dismissed. Now, the people in the room, they don't get what's going on. So they, they, they kind of all, you know, he says their sins are forgiven. They're like, who is this guy? Like, Only God for, can forgive sins. Like, You're right. And this is God in the flesh at your table and you missed it, right? That's what's happening. So they, they, they completely miss who Jesus is. And that's scary. That, like, that happens all the time. Scripture is really, really clear that people will miss who Jesus is. That they'll hear about him. They'll be really close to him and they'll miss him. Judas, right? And Judas missed who Jesus was, you know. Um, Man, many will say to me on that day, Lord, we did this and this and this in your name. And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Many people will miss who Jesus is. Don't let that be you, right? See, man, pray, ask God for the heart of this woman. See Jesus for who he is. See your sin for what it is and come to him knowing that he's the only one who can do anything about it. Jesus' final words to the woman are this. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So here, Jesus, before he leaves Simon's house, he's going to hit on two crucial things about forgiveness. Number one, it's through faith alone, right? So this woman, like, she didn't get her sins dismissed because she's a good foot, foot scrubber. Right? He didn't say, hey, all your sins are, are dismissed because you were crying and I felt bad for you. Like, that's not why her sins are wiped away or, or, or gone. It's not just because she was acting kind towards Jesus. It's because she came in faith alone, trusting that he was her only hope, right? She's down on her knees crying. I've got nothing to give, okay? I'm broken, I'm torn up. You're my only hope. And that's the heart it takes. 
to, to receive the forgiveness of Christ. A heart that's the opposite of the Pharisee, not saying, I've got it covered, I'll take care of it. A heart that says, I can do nothing on my own, you're going to have to do it for me. No righteousness, no righteousness of my own. My only hope is that someone who is righteous with God, a real friend of God, Jesus would put righteousness into my account and into my life. That's how the woman has come. She's come in faith. And I love the last words, peace. And so Christ says, leave in peace. Man, that's really cool. You have came in faith, you can leave in peace. For those whose sins have been forgiven and like Jesus really took care of them on the cross, you can live at peace with God now. That's what, that's what that's saying. You're a friend of God. Because you've put all your hope and your faith and your trust in him, you can live this life knowing that your sins are really dealt with, that your debt has seriously been paid. And that same woman who looked crazy when she came into this house bawling, smearing her hair on feet and ointment and crying and repenting, that same messy woman leaves put together. She has peace that comes from knowing that her sins have been forgiven by Christ. And so as we end here today, I, I, we, we want to say that, hey, that same forgiveness that Jesus offered that day to that messed up woman, that same forgiveness that he displayed for Simon clearly to see is made available to us today. And that's an awesome thing. Our, our Jesus here is the same Lord we serve today and he welcomes people. He welcomes people to come as this woman does. To, to forget what others think, like to not worry about anyone else in the room, but just do business with God in your own heart and say, God, how do I respond to you? So may, maybe our response needs to look exactly like this woman. Maybe you need to fall down on your knees and cry. I don't know. Maybe you need to say, look at, look at my sin. Maybe you need to pray that right now. God, show me my sin and show me who Christ is. And maybe you need to come like she came um, with, a, with a broken heart saying that all I need is you. Maybe, maybe you say, hey, I'm way more like Simon. I see self-righteousness in myself. I'm critical of others. I'm, I'm not fast to see my sins. Maybe that's what you need to repent of. And say, God, for, forgive me for, for putting my trust in myself. Forgive me thinking, for thinking that I've got it together. But, but God, help me to, to, to have such a heart where I would put all of my hope in you. So as I pray um, and as we sing, it's, it's a time to respond to what God has done, to respond by coming or, or um, to respond in worship because you have been forgiven. Let's pray. Father God, you're so good to us. Uh, we love you. We, we want to say that, that we can't do anything on our own. Give, give us such a heart that would, that would love you more than, more than anything, God. Help us to see how much we've been forgiven. Our sin is big. It's nasty. It's terrible. And you took it on yourself to, to make a way for us to be friends with God and help us to rejoice in that and to celebrate that and to, to, to see the full gravity of that and to know that and to go share that truth with others. In your name we pray, amen.